What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer. David Faber is going to join us in a moment. We are expecting some chop to start the week. Futures a bit soft here as we monitor the fallout from these reported margin calls at Credit Suisse, Nomira Goldman, following Friday's block trades. Busy week ahead. Jobs report on Friday, of course, with the market closed. Our roadmap begins with that massive margin call, some banks warning of significant losses, plus the latest on the container ship still stuck in the Suez Canal. And Boeing rallying as Southwest orders 100, at least 100, 737 MAX planes. Jim, it is great to see you again, and we'll talk to David in a couple of minutes here. Uh, in general, how are you viewing this margin event? El Arian earlier on Squawk saying it appears to be a one-off, but you definitely do not want a pile-up, in his words. No, and I do think that when you get... Uh, some pretty harsh statements out of uh, Nomura and Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse saying highly significant losses. Then what people are going to do is shoot first and ask questions later. They're going to take the whole group down, the uh, brokers down. It doesn't matter whether they were quick to evade Archegos, which is the uh, apparently the, the office in question, family office, or uh, did everybody just get completely smoked? And I have to tell you, Carl, I think that some people are saying Goldman made money on the trade. Having executed margin calls, let me tell you something. You just get out of the stuff. I mean, they're not playing the market. You don't say, well, I'll buy 10 cent and then we'll see how it does. It's boom, it's out, which is why you're seeing, and I'm sure that's everybody's doing that, why you're seeing such declines. I know we're going to hear from David. David's close to it because we're uh, his tweets yesterday pretty much defined the story. But uh, I'm not going to say it's one off, if only just because we have to go through through the who really had it, who didn't have it before we complete the day. And, you know, you'll see a stock like Morgan Stanley. It'd be very unlike them to really get hurt here. But look at what they're doing. And there's also these ETFs that connect them all. So uh, if you want to buy these stocks, I'd wait till uh, a little later today, because a lot of them uh, we have to hear from before we buy. Right. And that process, Jim, of course, comes not just through disclosures, but through a lot of solid reporting. Speaking of which, David Faber has been covering this ever since the block trades really hit late last week. And he joins us this morning on the phone. David, uh, happy vacation once again. Uh, what do we what's the important to know this morning? Yeah, it, thanks, guys. I'm sorry I'm not with you. And it does seem inevitable. First vacation in eight months. It always happens. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's funny, literally on the plane, 7 a.m., my phone started to light up with uh, calls from people saying there's some very strange block trades. Now, that wasn't yet Viacom and Discovery, which, of course, as we know, are sort of at the center of this, but it was any of these other names. Baidu, you mentioned Tencent. You heard Dom mentioning at the end of of Squawk Box. Block after block, and people starting to wonder what was going on as Friday went along. Of course, we started to see those enormous blocks of both Discovery and Viacom. We have all three of us sat there and talked endlessly, as you know, over these last few months about the enormous move up in both Viacom and Discovery, in particular two companies that I happen to know very well, far beyond what many at least had anticipated would be the fundamental strength of these companies, even with 
accounting for, their success so far, if you want to call it that, in direct-to-consumer. And now we have an answer as to what was going on, but we have an awful lot of questions still in terms of how this was allowed to happen. And if I could just back up for a minute and try to explain to our viewers, what are we talking about? Well, it does appear that Archegos, this family office slash hedge fund, whatever you want to actually term it, um, had swap agreements across Wall Street with all sorts of different prime brokers, whether it's uh, Goldman Sachs, whether it's Morgan Stanley, whether it's uh, Credit Suisse, which, as Jim just mentioned, may have significant losses, whether it's Nomura, and on and on. And none of them seem to have an understanding of exactly how large the positions were at the other firms. And a swap basically gives a derivative. The, the, the stock is held in the street name, but the derivative that's tied to it gives the economic value to the owner there. And so Arkegos had, well, now we know perhaps as much as 15% or more ownership uh, economically of Discovery and Viacom, those numbers are just astronomic. And apparently buying them all through, the main reason they may have moved up to the levels that they did, and then having been thrown as Viacom proceeded to do that offering early last week at $85 a share and the stock suffering, that may have started this cascade where the selling began. And by the way, it's not just owning it on swap where there's no transparency and nobody nobody really knows, including the companies, who their true owners are. It's also the leverage being provided by the prime brokers, Jim, five, maybe as much as seven times. And that's where we are right now. And this may not be over. I've heard from numerous people this morning that Wells Fargo may be shopping a large block of Viacom as well. And so we'll see. They did the $45 million last night at, what was it, 47 I think it was. But there may be more downside here. We'll have to wait and see. But this has been a fascinating story, Jim, both from the lack of transparency, the leverage that was being used, and the size, nobody knows exactly what this guy who runs Archegos was thinking. It it, it seems almost insane, his behavior. Yeah, I mean, David, when I think about this, I think about what would have happened if you had done, I mean, let's say I ran a hedge fund, and you borrowed money, and you didn't tell the other brokers that you were doing this, and you just had everybody on the hook. Uh, So I think people at home, David, are wondering, how is it possible that this man could have fooled every single broker. Yeah, listen, there are, you know, you are supposed to uh, uh, say that you don't, will not own more than 10% of any one company, period. Apparently, he didn't listen to those rules <laughs> and didn't obey those rules. I mean, that's all I can think. Now, there are various rules as well, but, you know, the swap market perhaps is more opaque, as we've said. Uh, you, it's unknown to the other prime brokers if you don't disclose it what your economic position is with others. And so clearly he seemed to be above 10%. Clearly he, well, he very well may not have been obeying rules at least set by the prime brokers, Jim. Uh, and then why he would make the decision to buy and buy and buy over those last weeks and months as that stock went ever higher and many shorts covered, it's not clear exactly what his thinking was. Well, um, and here we are. Well, David, I mean, I think people at home are trying to figure out how a three billion dollar offering of Viacom, which, by the way, you talked about Viacom doing one every day if they were if they had a brain, how three billion dollar Viacom could send everything domino like that. You could actually have the language of a credit suite saying, look, you know, we are these are highly significant losses. David, these are very big banks. I mean, I, I think people say, are they all that fragile? I know. I mean, listen, it's prime brokerage. Certain ones are much more focused on the leverage that they're providing a client. But at the same time, if the client is not being straightforward with them and they don't understand the exposure the client has, 
across Wall Street to one name or two names and how large they are in that name, it's very difficult for them to ascertain. And again, it's, it's both the lack of transparency and the leverage here that conspired to, to bring this, this, uh, this firm down, clearly, uh, and is going to result in these enormous losses that we're seeing. I mean, Nomura last night, we saw, what, as much as $2 billion. We don't know the number on Credit Suisse. We have other suspects that perhaps were, that there's some concern about. So we're going to learn a lot more. There's going to be, guys, going to have to be an investigation here of some kind. Most likely there is going to be a rewriting of, of, of rules and regulations around swaps so that there is more transparency. Um, you know, that's why this is an important story even if it doesn't spread far beyond. And obviously, it's already impacted the stocks that we're talking about. It's not as though Tencent, Jim, is not an enormous company. The idea that that stock was down as much as it was is frightening, given how important it is in China and how enormous it is in China. Well, David, last night you tweeted that there could be more Viacom done, and Viacom was up earlier today. Uh, Again, what this shows is that uh, the, this opaque world is going to freak out a lot of the younger people who really didn't even know this could happen. So, David, we don't know who Prime Brokerage is because the Prime Broker should have been able to detect that it, unless it was done somehow off the books, so should have been able to detect that there was some sort of violation here. Right. Yes. But, you know, it's funny, Jim. I mean, listen, as you know, I'm close to these companies and I was asking them and trying to understand, you know, who is doing all this buying? And frankly, they didn't, because when you would look, if you were running IR at any of these companies, you would see a lot of the stock in street name, right? You'd, you'd say, oh, okay, Credit Suisse right. owns our stock. Right. Well, why? And you might ask and say, well, we're J.P. Morgan. And some of this actually was because, well, we're putting together a reopening basket, and your name is one of the reopening basket names. Um, but you didn't know who the underlying economic interest was tied to, der- well, derivatively but, but, tied to. And that was the problem here. Even the, even the companies in question didn't really know who was behind this buying. Well, but David, one of the things that's happening right now as you watch the crawl underneath us is you're seeing uh, stocks of companies just being tossed out. J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Will everyone have to address this, David? Will everyone have to say, here's my loss from this as if it were some sort of whale? Because these stocks are all being carried down. Not everyone could have been. Well, could everyone have been hurt by this? I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. I think we're still in the somewhat early days of the story, and I think you're right. I think all of them are going to have to address it and say this is what our potential loss may be as a result of unwinding these positions. Um, you know, we don't know what's still to, that. What's so interesting here is that we still don't know how much more stock there is to sell, and they may not even know. Again, uh, back to what I'm hearing this morning: that Wells Fargo may have more stock to sell. Or Wells Fargo, right? I mean, that's not a, a Okay, a Viacom. We'll see. I, again, I haven't confirmed that with Wells, so I want to make it clear, but I have heard it from three different accounts that have been approached. So I'm assuming there is stock to sell there. And so you don't even know, Jim, at this point. How, did, he, did he have another a prime brokerage account at another firm that we're unaware of that, that, that may have to be forced to sell? Um, we're just not sure. We just don't know. Well, Carl, I think what this does is create another level of distrust uh, it's been bad enough that some of the great high growth stocks have really just been annihilated here. But I think there are going to be a group of people in the younger set in particular. I mean, you know, we're suits, so to speak. I'm a boomer. Well, sorry, I apologize. But, Carl, I think what's going to happen is people are going to say it's rigged. 
It's rigged, and, you, and it's rigged in favor of, uh, of, of hedge funds. Because remember, hedge funds have been the villain, so to speak, over at the Reddits of the world. And now they really have a definitive villain that's taking down everyone, Carl. And I've got to tell you, it is of great interest to me whether Morgan Stanley should be down three. Should J- Maybe J.P. Morgan had control of the situation. But now you're going to have to deal with one of these situations where does J.P. Morgan want to come out and say we were not hurt? You know, that's something that uh, historically J.P. Morgan himself would say, if you have to say that, then you obviously are in trouble. So I think there's a level of distrust right right now, Carl, that is going to make it so the market could be down more than people realize as uh, right now, just because I think there's going to be a sense. Wow. This game, it is just a mugs game. I think that's a shame. It's not. But I understand. It is cloudy. Uh, right now, Bloomberg's got a story about Deutsche Bank, guys. Oh. Uh, even though they agreed to exit prime bor- brokerage a couple of years ago, uh, still may be exposed to some of these losses, including those from Archegos. Uh, David, I wonder, are we giving Goldman this morning credit for being a little bit nimble and, and maybe exiting early? Or are we wondering why they were doing business with, with Wong in the first place, given that he was long in the penalty box? Yeah, I think you could ask both questions, I think, right? We know this guy's track record was not the best, and so that becomes a question for everybody who did business with him. At the same time, it does appear, at least, that Goldman uh, may have been able to sidestep some of the significant losses that others may be facing as a result of perhaps being more focused on the leverage and more understanding of the risk at hand. We just don't know, Carl. Uh, And I think what's going to be interesting about this story is how it unfolds in the next few days, weeks, and even months as we understand more and then as perhaps the regulators move in to take a closer look at this particular market, which, again, is lacking in transparency, and we can all see what that means. Where is the David, SEC? keep your phone close. Where is the SEC, okay, Carl? Where is the okay, SEC? Guys. How about a statement from the SEC saying that not, in, not as many teams got to the final eight? No, elite eight. No, no. We need to see the SEC say something. Now, we know the SEC doesn't necessarily is not staffed right. But I think the people, the American people are trying to figure out, are these is the regulation. So right now, the SEC should be saying we are looking into it because otherwise people are going to say, you know what? It's self-regulating, Carl, and it doesn't work. Right, right. David, uh, thanks as always. Uh, we miss you, and we hope to talk to you, obviously, later uh, today or later in the week. That's our David Faber on the phone. Reuters, guys, is running with a headline that says the uh, stranded Suez Canal ship has been freed. That's Reuters citing some sources. Of course, we'll be waiting for some confirmation on that. Let's check in with our correspondent, Dan Murphy, who is in Egypt and on the CNBC Newsline. Hey, Dan. Right now, and I'm seeing a pretty significant breakthrough here at the Suez Canal Rescue operators have been able to partially refloat the Ever Given, which has been stuck sideways in the canal since Tuesday. Look, earlier today, authorities said that the vessel had responded well to push-and-pull manoeuvres in high tide, and we know they've been using tugs and sophisticated dredging equipment to pump sand and mud from underneath the ship to clear its engine and propellers. Well, right now, I'm looking at it, and the ship is really starting to manoeuvre in the right direction. Actually, I'm not sure if you can hear that behind me, but... It's been sounding its horn in celebration, perhaps sending a message to the flotilla of ships that it's been holding up over the past week or so. Now, of course, we have to look at the economic impact of all of this and the market impact, too. Uh, This blockage has held up about $9 billion a day in global trade, according to some estimates. It's caused big disruptions to global supply chains. Remember, the Suez Canal carries about 10% of global trade. 
about 7% of the world's oil as well. And we've been speaking with analysts who say that even if the ship is cleared soon, it's probably going to take at least 10 days to clear the backlog of the some 400 ships still waiting to pass through. So ultimately, this mishap all underscoring just how vital the Suez Canal is for global seaborne trade and also for Egypt, which has lost about $95 million in canal revenue as a result of this incident. So I'm looking at the ship right now. It does appear to be moving. We're not sure if the ship is underway by itself or if it's being pushed and pulled by those tugs, but no doubt a significant development emerging on the Suez Canal as we speak, guys. Back over to you. Dan, really quick, before we let you go, uh, is there a sense as to how long it will take to move some of those tugs out of the way so that those 400 ships could at least begin to follow through Ever Given's path? It's a great question. We understand that the ship is probably going to have to go into mechanical inspections from this point on. Uh, it's unlikely that it's fit to sail. Of course, it's been stranded on the banks of the Suez Canal, so it needs to be given a once-over to ensure that it's seaworthy. Uh, we understand it's going to be taken north and then put into a separate holding area in the Suez Canal. Not until it passes through to that holding area will we see the other ships beginning to uh, move through the Suez Canal themselves. Uh, as I mentioned, analysts saying it could take up to 10 days to clear that backlog, and 10 days is also a pretty optimistic forecast when you consider just how many boats are out there and how much cargo they're carrying. So it's likely that this issue could really extend, this blockage could perhaps even extend into the coming days, maybe even another couple of weeks. But it looks like good progress is being made on the ground here right now. Uh, Dan, Jim Cramer, fabulous reporting. And this is a story that's captivated the whole world. But I wanted to ask you, a lot of people are saying, how come oil isn't uh, higher? The shipping companies I contacted all say, look, it's derivatives of oil, uh, liquefied natural gas, uh, ethane. uh, And it's not necessarily oil itself because oil doesn't necessarily go through the Suez Canal. Can that explain why we're not seeing oil spike on this? Yeah, you got it, Jim. So, look, I thought the oil reaction was interesting, right? As soon as this headline broke this morning, we actually saw oil prices falling. And that's curious, right, because normally this blockage would have resulted in a spike in prices that you've been referring to. News that the ship could perhaps be showing signs of becoming unstuck uh, sent the oil price lower. Now, the Suez Canal is not necessarily a huge conduit for oil and LNG. It only carries about... 5 to 7% of total seaborne supply. Uh, of course, pipelines carry much more crude. There's heaps of crude in storage as well. So I would contend that there's probably other factors that are influencing the price of oil right now. This is probably more so just a headline-driven event. Dan, perfect timing to have you on as we uh, begin to see some real progress here, according to reports and your own eyewitness account. Thanks very much. Uh, Dan Murphy uh, joining us from CNBC on the Newsline. Take a break here. A bunch of individual calls we got to get to, including some calls on uh, Twitter, Etsy, GM, Facebook. Got some news on DraftKings and, of course, that uh, Boeing plane order from Southwest. We're back in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. 
For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Watch Boeing in the pre-market looks to open up about 2% here as Southwest announces 100 firm orders for the 737 MAX, takes an option for about 155 additional jets. Jim, it was um, on our show um, in 2019 where Gary Kelly said, look, the board's going to look at maybe diversifying into Airbus. And it was later that Boeing's Dave Calhoun said, we let him down. You know, this is a surprise. Phil LeBeau with an excellent report earlier. Uh, I did think it was going to go to Airbus because you remember how angry Gary Kelly was. Who can blame him? But this plus a note from Goldman Sachs saying 787 deliveries resume uh, it is a statement that maybe uh, that, Bo- that Boeing's going to return to the uh, Let's with the stocks been signaling this, but return to one of the blue chips that is going to be the great reopening trade. And the reopening trade is still very strong. And I find that the uh, keep America closed trade diminishes by the day. This is a very big deal, uh, Carl. And I do think that when I think about Boeing and, the, and this is the 737 uh, Max, I think that people felt no one would ever ride it again. Carl, I don't think no one even knows whether they're in a 737 MAX. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Jim, American had some updated guidance on net bookings. As of uh, the 26th of March last week, the seven-day moving average of net bookings at American is 90% of the 2019 total. Wow. And they see that continuing through Q2. But, Jim, capacity is down 40%. So I don't know how we work their way out of that except for higher fares. Uh, yes, absolutely. The fares are going up. Especially, remember, what's really incredible, really incredible is you, you can't go to Europe. So, I mean, the, these, these companies are going to make a lot of money. Uh, good for them. I know that when people say, well, wait a second, they got a government bailout. But if we recall, at this time last year, we thought that the way you got COVID was to go on a plane. It took a long time for Boeing and for the airlines to be able to uh, actually state their case, which is that the airflow is 16 times better than a building. And uh, so I absolutely, absolutely feel that uh, this is, again, a sign that you've got to own the airlines. I don't think people understand that when Europe comes back, it's just going to be really bountiful. Southwest, obviously, right here, right now, uh, levered to the price of oil, too, but expanded. Some of these companies took advantage of this moment, Carl, and really, really expanded. And I think that that's why Southwest needs so many planes. Yeah, uh, certainly uh, JetBlue and, and Gary Kelly at Southwest have been pretty opportunistic about entering some markets right. they maybe uh, weren't in previously. It kind of brings to mind, Jim, this Goldman note uh, this morning on The Economy, Jan Hatzius, that's actually titled Anatomy of a Boom. And they uh, say accelerating sequential growth is transitioning from our forecast to a fact. Uh, they leave Q1 GDP at 7.5, largely because of the weather drag. But they take Q2 up a full point to, to 10.5. Jim, uh, as they say, look, the timing of these stimulus payments and the reopening is going to mean the springtime is just going to be hot. 
Oh, wow. I, I, that's a good note. And I think that, again, that is uh, what the story is in our markets, uh, restaurants, travel. I saw Disney down because people felt that maybe Disney's caught up uh, it, it, with the great uh, the Archicos. Well, I don't want to call it. Uh, I don't want to call it fraud because that would be uh, too strong. But I do think that anything that is opening, anything that's in the mall. I mean, how about this lag trade? This is the trade that Matthew Boss mentioned. LB is doing great. Uh, American Eagle's doing great. I mean, Gap is doing great. Carl, I don't want to. Whoa. I don't want to say we're back, but we're um, we're close to it. We're close to it. Right. We're going to talk about some of those uh, calls and uh, and some names, including a big call by J.P. Morgan on the Internet space. We'll take a short break here. Opening bell in about five minutes. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Let's get Kramer's mad dash this morning watching some Lulu today, Jim. Yes, Carl. This is the uh, I think this is the fulcrum moment. We have to find out whether the stay at home trade is completely over or not. Is there any hope for it? Lululemon, which reports tomorrow, has widely been viewed as a work at home, stay at home uh, clothing play. That you basically you can put on Lulu and sit there at home and you can be on your computer and suddenly the world is opening and Lulu doesn't fly if you go back to the central office. So let's watch stock down 10 percent. Piper says it's going to be a very good quarter. The question is not whether it be a good quarter. Of course, Lulu always does good quarter. The question is, will anybody care? And I don't know. I want to find out the stay at home trade had been a good one, Carl. But notice I, I'm using past tense, I think. It's the yeah. grand opening trade only that's working. Although, Jim, you know, I saw some discussion last week asking the question, if the, how can the reopening trade be a pure thesis when HD and RH are doing so well? Well, I think HD and RH are linked to, uh, well, actually, I'm just cribbing from a note today. Uh, they're linked to the stimulus. We're finding out that that's where a lot of people feel that the stimulus dollars go to. Uh, Wells also saying that it goes to tractor supply. That's an outfit that you use if you move to the country. So those are being viewed. Lowe's and Home Depot are being viewed as the uh, exceptions because you get the stimulus check and you don't go to Robin Hood. You go to Home Depot. Uh, quite a switch. Uh, you lose less money if you go to Home Depot. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I guess at this point, Jim, the the takeaway would be that there is so there are so many stimulus dollars afloat that maybe these households can do both, right? Could go be. on vacation and upgrade the pool. I think that they are going to vacation. They can spend a lot of money, and there's a lot of different weddings and things that have been held up. And by the way, on Home Depot, people feel if you invest in your house, your house goes up in value. It's been a big winner to invest in your house, this period. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's the opening bell, of course, and a look at the S&P 500 at the bottom of your screen, coming off of a record close on Friday. Jim, uh, we discussed um, the margin event with David at the top, and we 
Have seen some upgrades this morning of Viacom over at Loop and BMO. Uh, Tencent, of course, with a billion-dollar buyback. It's the biggest ever. Do you think there's value in some of these names that have been essentially cut in half? Yes, I, I do think that Viacom, uh, one of the things that Viacom CBS got is, uh, uh, from, from BMO is, is that the streaming biz may have a lot of value to it. They're talking about $45 in value. One of the funniest things, Carl, they kept their price target unchanged to 70 you know, stock went to the 90s, and they, they, they fortunately didn't change so that they're using a $9 price target. Uh, I do think that there is value with Viacom, but I do think, again, you have to wait for things to settle because you don't know where more Viacom is. I mean, obviously, if, if someone could be uh, as nefarious as they were to a couple of firms, they could be nefarious to everybody. Uh, and I say nefarious, trying to find a word which describes uh, taking out, a, you know, borrowing a lot of money from everyone and not disclosing that they're doing it. Because, Carl, had they, then these firms would have closed it out a long time ago. Uh, obviously, the firms were clueless. You can't detect fraud. I remember when I, I was at Goldman, I learned, you know, you can't detect fraud. It, it, it's just too hard. I do think that it was important to recognize that if you got out of it first, as Goldman did in the morning, I couldn't figure out the trades. I thought maybe it's something with the PRC. But if you got out of it first, the, the firms tend not to hang around. They tend not to hope that 10 cent will come back. I mean, a lot of people feel, oh, man, Goldman must have cleaned up. I know from my time on the desk and time and to spend some time in margin, the goal is not to make money. The goal is to get out as fast as possible because you don't know what's wrong with 10 cent. I mean, obviously, you don't know that it's owned by everybody. So uh, those who think that Goldman made a lot of money on this uh, no. I mean, Goldman may have been able to limit its losses, but the goal is not to profit from a margin call. The goal is to save your skin. Right, right. Morgan Stanley, Jim, is the worst performing s and uh, and that's going to be that's going to take you below the 50 day for the first time since February 1st. Uh, and wow. Wells is not far behind uh, off of the heels of David's comments at the top of the show. I think these might be opportunities if you believe that interest rates continue to trend higher. Uh, J.P. Morgan, really great firm, big balance sheet. Uh, Morgan Stanley, historically not a big risk taker. Uh, Wells Fargo's Charlie Sharp. Remember, we're waiting to see these banks. They're, they're up a little last week because they are more in control of their dividends if they've got the, 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 the right regulatory structure. Uh, but I do think that if you think rates are going to go up, pick your timing. Maybe wait until after margin calls, say about 2 o'clock. Uh, and I think you might have a good investment here. These companies are doing quite well. And they're part of the reopening trade, Carl. So I would not, mm-hmm. don't say one city. New CEO, got to find out how she's doing. But Charlie Schwarzman has been doing a great job. Wells Fargo's up in a straight line. And if you want to bet against uh, J.P. Morgan here, uh, Jamie Dimon, you want to against, bet against Brian Moynihan, Bank of America, I think that's a fool's bet. And th- those guys know how to handle this stuff. Speaking of J.P. Morgan, uh, a 240-page report out of the bank this morning on the Internet space. Uh, Their top picks are Google, Facebook, Amazon, Peloton, and Twitter. Uh, At the same time, Jim, uh, Deutsche takes Facebook to 385. That's going to be a street high in the in the face of what we know is ongoing regulatory scrutiny. I think that this is precisely what I would do as an analyst. You let the uh, the CEOs get grilled. People start worrying about regulation. A couple days go by. People recognize that that show is over. How are the companies doing? And it turns out the companies are doing quite well. Facebook, the numbers are too low. One of the things that's amazing about Facebook is it's cheaper than almost every growth company out there. Not the same for Amazon, but I think Amazon's doing well. Apple's obviously service revenue. Uh, Twitter, what a great opportunity. Jack Dorsey on the Hill 
Uh, Jack Dorsey gets grilled. Nothing really happens. But we realize that Twitter's doing quite well. Uh, uh, it's just kind of a great opportunity. And I think that that people have been holding back from buying these because they didn't know what Washington would do. Now they're looking at the numbers and realizing the numbers are coming in really good, Carl. And once again, people switching from linear TV going to these guys. And it's been uh, I think it's happening even quicker, more quickly than it was happening even six months ago. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right, Jim. I know uh, I missed SNL over the weekend, but I watched essentially all the big clips on SNL's Twitter account uh, on Sunday morning. By the way, Twitter, which has come down from 80 back to 62, uh, gets upgraded today over at Truist. Uh, Jim, they say it's the most exciting product roadmap we've ever seen from the company. And I know you've gotten a sneak peek at some of the things they're rolling out uh, early this year. I, I talked to Ned Siegel. I was a, a beta for uh, for places for their you know their parent their uh, equal to Clubhouse, and it's crushing it. It's just crushing it. And one of the things that people have to realize is Ned Siegel comes on every quarter, and Ned always is like, you know, I think it's going to be pretty good. Pretty good. no, he exploded this time. He was like, man, is it coming together? And, and you know, Ned is a great barometer because he is a very steady CFO, and I just feel like I, you could barely contain the man. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening at Twitter. They are getting, remember, they had something like 40 out of 44, maybe 40. I'm sorry, Ned, if I get the number wrong, Ned will tweet me quickly. But I do think that they, <laughs> they, they Ned, go ahead, go ahead. They crushed it in the, at the Super Bowl. If you want to start a campaign, people go to Twitter. And this has been an amazing time because a lot of people felt that when the real Donald Trump left Twitter, it would hurt. Nope, it helped. I think that people feel Twitter has has been very good at getting rid of hate, um, really good at getting rid of uh, uh, trying to get rid of bullying. Uh, Are they there? Perfectly not yet, but they're doing a great job. And and I think that what matters is, is that the daily average users are doing they're pretty good. I think numbers are coming back there. You know, Carl, one of the things when you talk to these consumer product companies, they're kind of like, how do we reach the non You know, how do we reach the even younger than millennials? Uh, well, you can also, uh, Rich Greenfield said you can reach him with Snap. All of these companies are doing quite well, but it is at the expense of linear TV, TV where people feel it's not a bargain anymore. Uh, that's right. Um, the uh, we, cord cutting uh, yes. um, phenomenon is something we've covered uh, for years. Jim, I did want to get you quickly on cannabis. Uh, New York lawmakers, of course, uh, reached an agreement over the weekend on expanding uh, state regulation from medical to recreational. They could vote on it as early as tomorrow. The Dems have a veto-proof majority in the state legislature. Uh, they're talking $350 million in annual revenue. Stiefel's out with a note this morning, Jim, calling it a potential $5 billion opportunity as it would be the 15th state to go recreational. Well, look, I, I do think that the, this is one of those where the devil's in the details. Uh, Massachusetts got it. And you thought that Massachusetts would just line up. There'd be like, you know, south of the border. You thought it was going to be like Dylan with fireworks, South Carolina. No. I mean, there's just a lot of different uh, towns that get involved. I want to see exactly how big this is going to be. I mean, you know, New Jersey did it, and it's impossible to find. I've been recommending Grow Generation because that's the company that sells uh, very, very special equipment that allows you to grow it. Uh, but you know, the recreational so far has not been a great thing for these stocks that we're showing. So don't get too excited. I mean, people do tend to rush into these 
Uh, they run, rush into the bottom one, Sundial Growers. They bull it to $1.80, mm. and then the sellers come out. Grow Generation, I spoke with them last week. They got a good model. And, and a lot of what you need to do to grow a lot of cannabis is spend a lot of money because it's not easy to do. Will the stores come out and, and the buyers come out? I don't know. I, I, and I think there's still a stigma. Uh, my favorite has been Canopy because they're uh, mostly owned uh, by Constellation. So they apparently have a great taste, no filling drink. I've not had that. It will be separate in bars. I don't think regular bars will carry it. But Canopy has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Even though they burn through a lot of money, they still uh, still have money to burn if they need to. Constellation's doing really right. well. Uh, bring- oh. Yep. And, and it brings to mind, Jim, uh, TAP uh, this morning uh, reiterating their guidance, saying a dividend's possible in the second half. That's going to be about a two-month high on Molson Coors. People, you know, that's a, it's very interesting that the companies that sold beer did quite well in the stay-at-home trade, uh, it, like Peloton did, did quite well the stay-at-home trade. But I think people feel, uh, I'm getting a lot of heat from my, I had a kind of a negative piece on Peloton. Well, it was at 120, so I, maybe I rest my case. But there's a couple of the stay-at-home, uh, <laughs> I mean, so a couple of the stay-at-home trades that have, uh, that are trying to morph into go-out trades. And I think beer is real. I think that people uh, love beer. I think they would love to try the cannabis drinks. But I do think that when you get these bars open, Carl, it is going to be the Roaring Twenties. And if you get that 10% growth, it's Roaring Twenties. And this time, there's no prohibition. Yeah, that's, uh, you, you may be right, uh, Jim. Obviously, you know, I read something the other day that they called it the Roaring Twenties to a degree because the people who had lived through the prior pandemic at the time felt like, well, I survived that. Nothing can kill me. And that was sort of what led to those incredible animal spirits. Well, I, I Dr. Eric Topol, on whom I regard as being, by the way, the greatest follow. He's at Scripps. And he said to me, no one should die anymore. We have them that no one should die from COVID if everything's done right. And uh, I was saying, right. look, I think that the, the COVID is back and is surging. He said, be careful. If you're if you're vaccinating more than one percent of the people in a day, be you know, don't be surprised when we get to May and everybody's got it. Everybody uh, Jim, you're right. Uh, we just did. We just did three million uh, for the third straight day. We've now got almost half of Americans who are 65 plus fully vaccinated, not one dose, fully vaccinated. Um, And there's a good piece this morning, Jim, in Politico uh, that the White House may rejigger some of their vaccination strategy because they're finding that Americans don't necessarily want to go to a mass vaccination site. They'd rather go to a drugstore or a pharmacy. And that may be a better way to get this thing finally done to to your point to those Americans who actually want it. Yeah, I mean, my, my wife got it at Walgreens in Florida, and she said it was, I know this sounds strange, but it, it, was, a ple- it was a pleasant experience. <laughs> I think that's what happens. When she had the J&J, so it was pleasant. You know, she got back, she didn't feel well, but now she's, she's queen. She's queen of Florida. And I think that you see CVS and Walgreens, I think they're getting business. I, I was surprised. I didn't think they would. We hear from Roz Brewer, the unbelievable executive who left Starbucks. Big loss for Starbucks, who's running Walgreens. I think she's got a big story to tell this week. And, and a lot of it is, is that, well, you feel good. You buy something when you're there. And it's real. I mean, Carl, I, I think that the numbers are inc- Those numbers are amazing. Three million. They're amazing. Think about it. The population of the country is 300, what, 330 million. I mean, we're going to be there. And people are going to go out. And I'm targeting Cinco de Mayo is the day that everybody goes out. 
Yep, yep. We can, uh, we're going to be there. David and I are going to be there on that day, Jim. Well, it's going to be um, private. By cl- the way, Moderna this morning, <laughs> Moderna uh, this morning announces the shipment of the 100 millionth dose uh, to the government. So those are numbers that we used to talk about sort of as uh, pie in the sky targets, but it's actually in the mail. Moderna's proven to be maybe the most amazing company because Moderna didn't exist not that long ago. And now people, when you ask people which one they, they got, they're always very proud when they got Moderna. Oh, I got Moderna. Me, I got Moderna. Okay? Okay, so it was two shots, and the second shot, I was really tired. But I think Moderna's got really good numbers. Look, J&J has got great numbers, too, but this thing is just incredible. It's what people, if you're not talking about the Suez Canal, you're talking about what shot you had. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Is your arm sore? And congratulations. Those are the two big uh, topics of discussion in the country uh, right now. Um, Overall, um, Financials down about 1%, but as you can see, uh, some limited selling this morning. Let's get to Rick Santelli today. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Welcome back. You know, I just scratched my head. Look at the 20-year chart of the S&P and Dow, and if you haven't realized it by now, they're just having a stellar run Friday. Uh, of course, they both closed in record territory. The NASDAQ may be having a tougher time. And amidst all of this, there's actually head-scratching and questions as to whether some of these uh, areas of capital loss and over-margin and leverage are one-offs. They're not one-offs. It's the plan. It's what central banks and our Fed have been seeding. They've been seeding these clouds. Leverage is what saves the system. This is what they want. And to think that the CEOs of many of these companies that are stay-at-home uh, were, were telling us that this is the new normal, did we really believe them? Do you really think that's the way it's going to turn out? I'm very impressed the market's doing as well as it is. And if you look at interest rates on a 10-year going back to 2012, what you'll see is this 1.5% area is huge. Look at it. Uh, Whether it's from 140 up to 160, 2012, 2016, the fact of the matter is you could look at that chart and make a very easy blanket 2021 statement. We're probably going to do most of our work between 1.5 and 2%. If we get on the extremes in either case, to the upside or the downside, it could have some follow-through. The downside's easier to quantify. I could tell you for sure it's going to stop in the mid-130s. Those were the all-time bottoms of 2012 and 16. And it's going to stop at 119, 120. That's where it stopped early in COVID. Those are going to be key points. Now, if you look at a 20-year chart of Boone's, it looks completely different. It just keeps going down, down, down. You know, they haven't closed above zero. They haven't closed in positive territory since May of 2019. And we're scratching our heads that there's firms that have margin calls and have over-leveraged and that CEOs aren't going to tell you about it? Come on. Now, if we look at what's going on in foreign exchange, it's always the dollar's going to have problems. And I agree with that to some extent. However, you know who's going to have bigger problems? Europe. Look at the euro uh, over the last couple of years. And what you'll see is on this chart going all the way back to 2010, it just looks heavy. Take the name off, euro versus dollar. Look at that chart. If it was a stock, would you be putting your money in it? I don't think so. But yet, if you look at it picture of the dollar index just since September of 2020. It certainly looks like the momentum's to the upside. You could look at fundamentals, but sometimes it's just easier to look at a chart. Jim and Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Uh, some uh, mild selling here. Dow was briefly positive at the open, but basically flat. S&P 3966 as we took a le- uh, look at the heat map here on our way to break. We're back in a moment. Now what the hell? 
Lewandowski. Can you please help me make an NFT? Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Hey, thanks. That's the SNL gang over the weekend with their take on NFTs, Jim, which is sort of a generally accepted <laughs> sign of cultural acceptance. You know, Brian Solomon was interviewing the unbelievable uh, CEO of the Philadelphia Art Museum and asked him about it. And the guy kind of punted and talked about digital need to, for video. But uh, I know I entered this Time magazine thing to try to buy the uh, token uh, NFT for the Is God Dead cover. And I thought I was going to get it for 12 for, I don't know, 12 Ethereum, which was equal to, I don't know, at the time, like 20,000. And then someone comes in at the last minute and buys, buys it for 100,000. I mean, obviously, there are people. It is beauty is in the eye of the NFT beholder here, Carl. Uh, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I think that there's a little too much excitement. But then people who pay up and the guy who flips the Time magazine cover for 200,000 will tell me, Jim, you're an idiot. Should have bought it for 20. Well, speaking of uh, all things uh, crypto-related, Jim, I saw the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, today say, uh, count me in as a crypto law proposal supporter. Texas should be take the lead on this like, like we did with the gold depository. I also saw that about 12, 13 percent of Americans now have at least some form of ownership of uh, crypto-related currency. Well, that, that's interesting because that does get to the point where it really is uh, an asset class like gold. I don't even know if gold, if people have that much gold. Uh, I totally get it. I know that it's very easy. You, the ease with which you can get a digital wallet is pretty amazing. I have PaySafe on tonight, a uh, digital wallet company affiliated with Coinbase. Uh, it, the easier it gets, the more people will have and the more people will feel like, you know what, this is not only legitimate, but companies should be buying it. Uh, I find that the place that has the, done the most is Square. Uh, they with their cash app, uh, they've been terrific because they let, let you buy slivers of Bitcoin because obviously buying a Bitcoin is pretty expensive. You buy a sliver, put it away. Uh, people regard it as a great repository storage of wealth. And uh, that's an s- astonishing number. Astonishing number, Carl. Wow. Yeah. 58K, Jim, today for the first time. I think it was B of A uh, the week before last, though, who did argue too volatile to be a mechanism of payments too volatile to be a store of growth or store of value that really, if you're buying it, you're buying it on price appreciation. And that's about it. Well, I mean, sometimes that's enough. I mean, look, if they're saying it's tulips, I planted mine. They're looking good. <laughs> they do look good, Jim. And, and spring is coming. Uh, we'll take a break here as uh, we kick off this holiday shortened week. We're back in a moment. Take a look at some of the biggest laggards on the NDX this morning. Baidu's uh, gotten wrapped up in some of those block trades, obviously, and these margin events. uh, The number one loser down 4%, although Moderna not far behind. The biggest gainer, by the way, this morning on the NASDAQ 100 is Facebook. We're back in just uh, a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. All these brokers trade together, and it's somewhat quizzical, Carl, because Goldman Sachs has told people, and they're out. 
saying, look, it was nothing major to Goldman. They got out of positions with minimal losses. So if you're looking, as I was at the top of the show, of a way to be able to play the rebound, Goldman has been uh, very articulate about what happened to them. Uh, Credit Suisse, obviously, you don't necessarily want to go there, given the fact they say highly significant losses. Nomura, we obviously don't know the extent of may not be able to cover some of their claims. But Goldman's back. You know, they did what they did. They got out very quickly. And uh, so if you're really a believer that this is uh, an opportunity, you go with Goldman because that's the one that's already quantified things, said not to worry about it. Right. Jim, you said it a few minutes ago, but Bloomberg's now citing an email saying that the SEC says it's monitoring the Archegos capital situation. There we go. Monitoring. That's what we need. I mean, I think that they ought to call. Uh, well, I don't know if this fellow will come in, but they should ask all the firms to quantify uh, the losses and then move on so that people are not uh, trading on a uh, lack of information. And it, that would be uh, that'd be terrible. So they ought to get their stuff out and let's see what happens. All right. How about tonight, Jim? OK, I have Bill Foley, who is uh, doing a couple of successful SPACs, including PaySafe. And then uh, Dan Mondor uh, in Seagull really missed the quarter badly. A lot of people were not that happy about it. Uh, it would be the only uh, uh, semiconductor company that's not doing that well. We got to find out if they're coming back. Uh, it, the, uh, the breakout trade is still happening. I watched Nucor up three. People believe in infrastructure now, Carl. They're playing infrastructure. Moving right yeah, on. and we might get some more details later in the week. It's uh, big. At least that's the, the scuttlebutt this morning. It's big. Uh, Jim, we'll see you tonight. Thank you. Uh, Jim Cramer, Mad Money, of course, with Jim Cramer, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.